500 years ago he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad he said i'm mad i must eradicate piracy injustice and cruelty and all my sons will follow me so evil doers will believe that this man cannot die the phantom the ghost who walks the phantom enemies beware the phantom's always there but you won't find the phantom he finds G'day everyone, for those who came in late, you're listening to Expand the Phantom Podcast. Um, my name is Dan Fraser and tonight I'm joined by Jermaine Parker. How are you, Jermaine? Yeah, good, mate. Good, good. Uh, it's been an exciting last couple of days. Um, so yeah, looking forward to spending some more time in the Phantom. Yep, and uh, it has been an exciting last couple of days, but I think the excitement that we have been experiencing is just a small microcosm of the amount of excitement experienced by our um, I'm going to say guest, but also, you know, regular Chronicle Chamber contributor, uh, Mikel Lick. How are you, Mikel? Hello. I'm great. Uh, it's been, a, as you say, crazy 48 hours. Uh, <laughs> it's been so nice, and, but not much sleep, but it's been so much, so much love and so much things to do. Yeah, it's been mm, crazy. Wonderful. So just to clarify for people who may, be, um, who may have come in late, uh, Mikel Lick is obviously the creator of the Phantom, the card game, which has just been released on Kickstarter in the last 48 hours, which is the time frame we've been talking about. And it's fair to say it's gone great guns, Mikel. You must be just thrilled with the way that it's launched and gone. Yeah, it's, it's really over expectation. I, I mean, I really hoped and dreamed of uh, uh, fulfilling the... <clears throat> The campaign at all, but doing it so quickly and then just burning through some stretch goals, it's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. It seems people want more Phantom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and reading through the comments, it seems like a lot of people have come for the game but are staying for the Phantom, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I feel the same way. Like, a lot, lots of people all, uh, also talks about how they remember him growing up and now finding back to like mm. starting to get comics from uh, eBay and uh, yeah, finding their old ones. Yeah. yeah. I think that's probably the most pleasing thing is that potentially we're going to get new fans out of this or old fans back. Um, and, you know, for us to get our comics and continue <coughs> to get our comics, we need people to buy comics so that's what has excited me a lot is just you know it's not just the phantom fans it's other people that are getting on board so it's it's you, you know congratulations from myself and from chronicle chamber you you know you, you've done a great job you smashed it out of the park um and yeah uh, it's, it's, it's exciting watching it yeah and it's not only the uh, comic book fans but i mean a lot of people have only seen the movie mm. and they're saying like Maybe it's time for a new one because it's, I mean, yeah. it's the time range that those, who, lots of the, those who saw, saw it when it was on theater were perhaps like the age I was, like 15, 16 years old. And that, that's mm. like great nostalgia and it's like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe it's time for a new one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I guess um, the point of tonight's podcast or, or the YouTube video, if you're watching that, is to probably help some of those um, those uh, 
fans who are or potential fans who are coming back to the fold or or maybe picking up the fandom for the first time, but also as a reminder for uh, people who are long-term fandom fans and perhaps need a bit of a, a reminder about some of the stories because what we're going to do today is um, a bit out of kilter for us. We don't tend to review old stories. We look at reviewing the new comics as they get published, but what we want to do is review the three stories that the card game has got uh, has been based on, the three decks and the three plots that you've created in the card game, and look particularly at those three stories. And it's, um, it's really nice to be able to dip back into these old stories, I found, as, and I read these for tonight's um, podcast. Yeah, definitely. I've, um, I've enjoyed it. I really enjoy getting back into the, um, uh, into the saga. We're only going to review the first part, um, but the, you know, the, the year one saga. really enjoyed getting into that. Um, and I'm still kicking, you know, that there was such a great opportunity that was missed um, with that one. But no, it was great fun getting stuck into them again. Mm. So, Mikel, I might um, just put you on the spot a little bit and um, ask you... No, we'll ask you the question as we go through why you chose each story and what was it about that story that made you think uh, it was one you wanted to use for your card game. But how about you give us some direction in terms of the order in which you'd like to talk to talk about the stories? Because obviously we're, we've got three stories, Devil's Story, um, Diana in the Jungle Patrol, and The 21st Phantom. So which of those three stories would you like us to kick off with? I mean, I like that uh, order. It's the same order as I did on the... I did the adventures in the game and it's the same order I want them to be played. I think it's a good order. Perfect. All right, perfect. Well, we'll start then with uh, Devil's Story. Now, Devil's Story is a 1979 Team Phantom story. Um, so it's... Um, what does that make it? Nearly 40 years old as a story? Over 40 years old. Goodness me. Um, 41 years old as a story, um, but not... Um, and probably fair to say the most popular of the three stories we're going to talk about today uh, was originally written by Don Avanel with the art by Georges Bess. It's actually been published in 14 different countries around the world, which is uh, very popular for a, a Tim Fantman story. Of most relevance today, it's been published in Sweden five times. The first time was actually back in 1979. And uh, sporadically over the, over the next couple of um, decades, most recently published in Fantman Chronica, or in 2007, issue number six of 2007. As far as being published in English and uh, for Australian audiences um, who form a big part of this podcast audience, um, it was first published in 1992. So it did take a while for uh, Jim Shepard, who was the, the publisher then, to bring it into the Australian, um, to Australian audiences. Um, as I said, in 1992, that was issue 1013. Um, it was also um, republished in 1996, which I guess only four years later uh, speaks to the popularity of it. And, there, and then for the third time and most recently, and the copy that I'm going to uh, refer to today is uh, from the 2017 trade paperback for those who came in late, which told the story, the origin stories of lots of elements of the, of the Phantom. And Devil's Story is the origin story of, um, of the Phantom's Wolf. Um, so it was really nice to dip back into this one. Um, before we hear from Mikel, Jermaine, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, what you thought of uh, Devil's Story? Um, I think I think you said it very well that it's probably the most... I reckon it's probably the most popular Team Phantom Men story that's ever been created. I will go on a limb and say that. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing anyone, whether it's you guys or any one of our listeners who disagree with me, 
and you can put them on our comments on social media or, or, or whatever. But um, that's how highly I rate it. Um, and, yeah, I think that probably speaks of volumes. And out of probably all the stories, including including Fork, I reckon it would easily fit in the top 15 of all Phantom stories. Right. That's a high praise indeed. Um, Mikel, clearly you like it for, for <laughs> because you've chosen it to, to base your story on. What was it that grabbed your attention when you first read this one? Yeah, I mean... And, and, I, and when did you first read this one? When I first read it. I, I don't remember actually, but uh, I think it could have been when the Chronica come out. And like, what did you say, 90? 2007 was in the Chronica. Oh, no, okay, then it was earlier. Yeah, but I mean, it was way back. Uh, but it's always stuck with me. And uh, yeah, I mean, as you say, it's been the highest praised of the Tim Fantome stories. And uh, you also, without mention, like when Egmont did the, the one of their tri- tries in India to give out a comic book with Phantom, that was the first story they published. Uh, yeah. And... Yeah, it it won best story of the year four times out of those five times it's been published, and the f- fifth time in the Chronicle it wasn't allowed to be uh, voted on. <laughs> it's so, it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? That it uh, yeah, it re- it really story is. so many times. And I, when I was thinking of which story to take, I was like, first off, it's a popular story, and it's we know it's good since it's been awarded, but it's also like. This is when you first meet Devil, so already there, like you unlock Devil, and that's that's like it takes part before it takes place before he gets all of the things that we know uh, and are used to in in today's Phantom, because it takes place before uh, the 1936 story, like. Mm. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah. So for those who for those who haven't read it before, and I think most people who are listening to this probably have, but uh, just to, just um, for people who are coming to this podcast and this story through the card game, um, the the story does basically tell the um, the tale of how the Phantom came to own or, or be partnered by this mountain wolf, uh, finding him as a cub, and then training him, and uh, it tells the story, of course. Um, about poachers and that, that's how the, the cub comes to be an orphan and uh, and um, then yes with the training and and there's also a bit of a nice tale about devil's parentage as well his father Satan and that sort of thing so um, as, as a story itself what did you guys think of it oh as a story it's it's ripping you've um, it it's it's like a different story in the sense that the phantoms not really a hero. He's more of like just a normal human being in this type of story. Like he's lonely. He uh, finds companionship. Um, he doesn't really, you know, defeat the bad guy um, or anything like that. So it's a, it's a different style of story. It's not like, you know, bad guy, see bad guy, punch bad guy, win the day. Um, but it, it, it's um, and that's one of the things that I like about the writer uh, Donny Avenuel is that he puts a lot of emotion in his stories and um, yeah I, I really enjoyed the story 
Um, another thing that I've, I've got to mention is it's what it's it's the probably the only Team Phantom Man element that Lee Fork actually wrote into his newspaper stories. So, um, uh, and in speaking to Off Granberg. Uh, when we did the podcast, he actually made mention that uh, Lee Falk did request the story and um, uh, and did like the story and commented on the story. So, um, you know, I, I guess if it's good enough for Lee Falk, it's uh, it's also good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, and that's not insignificant at all to, for this to yeah. be the, um, the the only one that we've been able to prove demonstrably that um, this um, I guess law about devil did transfer across into what many people would regard as official law with um, um, the, the newspaper strip. So, um, Mikel, what, I'll, I'm going to ask about the art in a moment, but just from a narrative point of view, how did you, I guess, what did you like about the narrative and how did you transfer that narrative into the card game? Yeah, I mean, as you said, the, the bad guy doesn't get defeated uh, by the Phantom and that I think that was a really... Uh, strong moment for the Phantom when he's like, I can see that this is a bad guy, but also he saved my life. Uh, mm. And then he yeah, tries to see things his way, even though it's the wrong way. And then that ends up causing more problems than it would have otherwise, if he mm. would have been brought to justice or something uh, earlier on. Uh, but the story elements, I mean, I took basically the parts of the story, I, the only thing I left on the cutting board is uh, when he goes to the place of Colonel Bagshot, where he has all the trophies and uh, tries to reason, in, reason with them, and then gets uh, scared off, basically. Uh, that part, I just couldn't make any, any good uh, game mechanics of, so I yeah. just... I just uh, uh, what's it called? Imagine it didn't happen. <laughs> A little bit of editorial control. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I have the the first part when when he gets attacked and then gets saved and then he starts training devil and then then the wolf starts attacking the village and then it's the showdown. Mm. Uh, and the, I mean, the showdown is yeah, it's epic. In the story. It in is. The story and, yeah. It is, and, and it's, a, it's a story that's very true to, um, I guess, why a lot of people fall in love with the, the character of the Phantom as well, because um, for the reasons that Jermaine has outlined before about, you know, not just an ordinary person, not a superhero, um, for that, for that um, coming together and, and uh, that companionship as well, it's, it's a really um, true story, I guess, to what we like about the character. So I mentioned the artwork before. We are going to have to explicitly talk about the art for each of these stories because, of course, you have used so much of the original art from these comic books in the cards, which, you know, personally is something that I really love about the card set that, you, that you've that um, you created. Um, I'll, I'll come to you in a moment, Mikel, but Jermaine, what, what are your thoughts on George Bess's art in, in this particular story? Um, I really like... Uh, Bess's artwork it, it works well in black and white but I also thought the fru issue uh, it worked well in with color I think it's better coloring than the Indian version um, but 
what's what's interesting about his style of the phantom is it's it's a very sleek or sleek you know non over muscular style phantom um and i i kind of like that that look not you know um you know too you know uh muscle driven and, and more athletic um but you know some of the some of the like the the art is just is you know some of the black work like um uh you know just something as simple as that um where you know he's walking away from the um from the campfire and so there's a lot of blacks in there and there's a lot of um you know this is on page 11 if you're looking at uh issue uh 1013 um so there's a lot of use of black in in that story which is quite well and and the action shots like there's a lot of movement in the way he's drawn it as well which i thought's quite good as well um i'm just yeah i you know i i think the arts you know is is, is great um, yeah, I think there's a lot of really strong lines and just a, a really firm commitment to the story from the artist in, in this, mm. um, in the way he depicts the character and, and, uh, and devil as well. Um, really got an eye for animals with the amount of wolves and, and horses even that are, that are right throughout this story. Yeah. Mikhail, how did you go? Oh, sorry. No, no, no I was just going to say, like, if you look at the last couple of pages, that's done at dark at night time. So there's even more black than what you would normal, normally, you know, uh, normally look at. If you're on YouTube, you can see me flipping through the pages there where, um, you know, there's a lot of blacks and a lot of heavy, heavy lines. And it's just, it gives that real sense of, of you know, of, of the battle, of, of the importance of the battle and, and, um, and stuff like that. Mm. So, Mikkel, as um, obviously you like the artwork of this, it, it goes without saying, I think. How did you go? What was the process like of flicking through the, the comic, which I've, I'm sure you've done a thousand times now, um, to choose the panels that you were going to use for the cards? Yeah, uh, first out, I was, just want to say thanks to Ivan Pedersen for this, uh, the great colouring that I used in the game. Uh, that's the same that was used in the for those who came in late trade paperback. I mean, it's, it's a great coloring. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I, like you said, I've read it over and over again and I was looking at like each panel. Could this be something that I want to do? Uh, that was half of it. And half of it was, uh, looking at the, the mechanics and this, and, uh, what I want to do with the story and then find, a picture that uh, visualized that so it would be mm. it was on both ways and I mean I've done some small uh, editing work uh, as you might know I, I removed some uh, speech bubbles and then I had to recreate how I think it would look under those and also sometimes uh, the angle was a bit wrong because some important thing would be cut out to so have moved some elements, but still try to keep it as close as possible to the original mm. uh, comic book paints. So uh, did, you, did you do all that in Photoshop yourself or did you have a guy that did it for you? Uh, uh, the editing uh, I did, but I had a guy who made it look uh, crisp and <laughs> th that made it look better if you say like that i i, I did the actual like 
removing of stuff or he did also we did both uh together depending cool. on the, the page i guess uh yeah but dayan has helped me with with like all the art of the card layout he also helped out with uh, removing stuff yeah but also the the most important thing he did is make it look perfect good for print so he uh, highs up the the darkness yeah 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 very good and that was right. even more in the other ones yeah sorry it it was even more in the other stories because they didn't have as good uh, originals yes so i was going to say so the and i'm glad you gave the shout, shout out to ivan peterson because i was going to ask about which version you had used um did you find that the the being able to scan um, or the, being able to scan the pages or use the pages from the trade paperback was the best of the three stories that you had available. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the the that uh, was least things to fix uh, if you compare to the other ones. Uh, if, sure. Yeah. Let's take it when we come to that. Yes. Fair enough. All right. Um, I don't want to labour on any of these stories. We know Devil's Devil story is an absolute classic, and Jermaine's um, been really clear about where he regards it in the pantheon of of Phantom stories. Well, um, do, can can any of you think of a, a a Team Phantom End story that rates higher than this? I I, I put my uh, I put it out there. Um, Oh, look, not off the top of my head. Yeah, I haven't put any thought notice. into it either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very it's, short uh, notice. 60 years of stories to troll back over and think about, but no, not off the top of my head. Yeah. I know I know. I have a real love for the retelling they did of the, the first Phantom. That's also super yeah. classic. Yeah. All right. So we'll have to we'll have to look that one up and make a comparison. But uh, oh, it could be an interesting social media question to be... To, to throw out there, Jermaine. Yeah, we might we'll, we might have to do that alongside this um this podcast. But anyway, we can move on. I just wanted to see if cool, anyone cool, cool. had anything they wanted to add to that comment. Uh, no, not at this stage. So, any other any other commentary on Devil's story, or do we move on? Can move on. All right. Okay. Cool. Cool. So the second story, and I guess the the second deck that you'll play through in the card game. Um, the second story that we're going to talk about today is called Diana in the Jungle Patrol, and there's the uh, the front cover of it as it was published by Fru in Australia just a couple of years ago. Um, the it's, it was written in 1973, which makes it the oldest of the uh, of the three stories that you've chosen here, Mikkel. Um, it was written by again by Team Fantelman. By Magnus Knudsen was the author. Now we interviewed Magnus for a uh, Chronicle Chamber podcast about a year ago, actually. Um, uh, podcast episode number one hundred and nineteen. If you want to go back and look that one up, and we do discuss this story with Magnus in that uh, conversation. Um, and the art for Diana in the Jungle Patrol was by Jamie Valvey. Um, it's almost exclusively been published in Scandinavia. When you go back and look at the publishing history, um, it's um, Sweden, Norway, Finland, and Denmark are the four countries where it has been published a couple of times. It's only been published outside of those four countries once, and that is, well, this issue that I'm holding, and that's um, the Fru 
issue number 1804, published in 2018. So way less widespread and has had far less reach than Devil's Story, but um, is, a, is an interesting story nonetheless. I really enjoyed reading through it again tonight for the purpose of this. Obviously, we reviewed this in a comics and news podcast a couple of years ago, I suppose, um, but it was really fun to go back and read over it again. Um, I might throw to you first, Mikkel, this time in terms of your chat about the about the story, I guess, of Diana in the Jungle Patrol, that, that narrative plot of, um, you know, having a, a $100 bet as to whether she or her friend, her male friend, are going to get into the army first or be in a battle first in the army, and then for whatever reason following through on it, and Diana joining the Jungle Patrol to prove her chops as a, uh, as a soldier, I suppose. Um, obviously, again, you've, you've enjoyed the story. Do you want to tell us a little bit about why? Yeah, uh, I mean... Uh, I think I mentioned it in an earlier podcast and I had a really hard time finding good stories where Diana is in the foreground and takes most uh, most of the action and this one I mean Phantom is really a side note this is all about her and uh, her accomplishments and I really enjoyed the story and it's she really makes does remarkable things and I, I always seen Diana as a strong, independent woman who can do pretty much whatever she sets her mind to. And it might be a bit dated in some of the things that are said and done in this, uh, but I, I, I really enjoy the story, uh, as I said. The, yeah, if I go to the art as well, the problem I had was that the, before I got a nice cover from Hendrik Solström. I was trying to do a cover for the small boxes as I shown you in the last podcast. I was mm. on 151, right? Or was it already yep. 150? Uh, the, I mean, this is the best cover uh, depicting the story. And that's still like a big phantom head in the background and stuff. So I'm really glad I got this great mm. cover from Hendrik Solström. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, she's really kicking ass with her uh, martial arts skills and, uh, yeah. What did you think? <laughs> um, I, I found it interesting in listening to the reason why you chose this story because it was one of the few stories where, the fan, uh, where Diana takes center stage. And... <sighs> it's a brilliant point that you raise and it's probably not the best time to discuss it now, but um, it's probably, it's something that's, that's worth exploring where a lot of the secondary characters don't tend to have stories about them in a sense. It's always the phantom and, and then the other characters. So it, I enjoyed the story as a, um, I think I probably, I probably enjoyed this story more as a father of daughters uh, than I probably would before, because um, as a father of daughters, you you know you realise that life's a little bit different for a girl than what it is for a bloke. And surprise, surprise, I've been a bloke all my life. Um, so you know you're looking for whether it's sports stars or or strong women or or heroes or whatever to be able to I guess become a good role model for your daughters. And, you know, while my daughters haven't read this story, it was like Diana, like you said, Diana is a strong woman. She's a strong-willed, independent woman who 
who could quite easily be, be a superhero in her own right. And it's, and it's good to have this story because it portrays Diana as I think she should always be portrayed and as she was portrayed in the early days. And that is someone who, in a lot of ways, can be seen as almost an equal to the Phantom. Um, you know, she's an Olympic diver. She's, you know, the first Phantom strip that we ever see is Diana beating up on a um, on a male or in a in a boxing on a boxing you know play fight type of thing. Um, you know, you know, she's an explorer. She's you know she's done hunting. She's done all these type of things, and you know she is a trailblazer. And um, you know, she was kicking butt before Wonder Woman, before Supergirl, and and stuff like that. And I think that this story does help remind us that Diana is that type of person, and she's not just a stay-at-home mum who's looking mm. after the kids. Mm. I'd, I'd yeah. agree with that wholeheartedly. I think it, it, it really does capture the spirit of Diana that um, Lee Falk established. Um, I take your point. Um, it's interesting, the dating of it. Like 1973 is, uh, you know, what was it, 45, 47 years ago. It's even and, older than you, um, Even older than me. There you go. It must be an old comic. Um, <laughs> Sorry, and, <mate. laughs> <laughs> it's your go-to. <laughs> um, it's interesting in the sense to see what they, you know, the way that, because um, we know that Sweden was more progressive than a lot of the rest of the world and the Scandinavian countries were. And for them to to produce a story like this, sort of, it's it's openly women's lib. It's openly of the times of the 1970s and the, um, the, the, um, the, the women's lib movement, the second wave there that was coming through. And so that's it's really good to from a from a history teacher's perspective, I suppose, to to dip back into what social the social society was like at the time. There's still some elements, as you said there, Mikel, that do date it. And and I really, you know, you've got to question why Diana needs to strip down to answer some um, <laughs> psychological questions as part of the interview for the, you know, why she's just standing there in a jocks but anyway um i guess the that's the artist's prerogative and and still speaks to i guess a little bit of the <laughs> a little bit of the style of the times um but by and large it is very much a um and again uh, deliberately and explicitly women's lib type story but i think it it does exactly what jermaine has has pointed out there about really highlighting how Diana is this independent woman. And I guess in that sense, the perfect choice for your card game where the point of this deck is in to, to introduce her as a character in the co-op and, um, and give her that, uh, that equal place and, and that equal footing with the Phantom character. Yeah, exactly. She has equal footing. I would say the decks are pretty much as good. A lot of people enjoy playing the Diana deck more because it has a bit more... Strategy, I would say, than the Phantom. Yeah. Deck. Okay. That's interesting. So, so I guess um, the chicken and the egg argument. Did you read the story and like it, and decide you want to put it in a card game, or were you creating a card game and you needed a good Diana story, and you went back and found this one? I, I would say the the other part. I, I was reading through all the Diana uh, front runner stories, and this was the best of them in my mm. opinion. So what were some of the others that you were potentially looking at that featured Diana from a, a 
you know, from a like a strong point of view. Yeah, I mean, I, I read through all of them that has Diana in the name, <laughs> and I read through the the ones in the Diana Chronicles, uh, and yeah, probably ten or twenty more uh, stories. Uh, so, Diana, it, when you say Diana Chronicles, what's that? Is that like it? it it's a special issue of the, you know, the Phantom and Kranika. Okay. They have like one special issue with the, the devil, with all the big devil stories. And they also have an issue with Diana and all the biggest Diana stories. Hmm. Yeah. It's not a bad idea, actually. And it's very helpful for you because it kind of, I guess it probably meant you could read probably about 80% of, of all the good stories in one hit without having to, um, <laughs> without having to um, you know, hunt through all your back issues. Yeah, but I mean, one that I was seriously considering is if you continue on the year one, there's a story that's called The Courier. And that's also quite a heavy Diana story. Yeah. 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 So that was that was the closest one, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. That's when she's framed for, was it the money that was smuggled out of, was it Cuba or or somewhere like that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure which country it was, but I know she. They put it in her bag in the airport, and yeah, yeah. And we would have gone with the year one saga as well. Yeah, I think this one. Yeah. I still, I like this one better. Yeah, and I think I could still do courier later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. I reckon you could almost do like a. You could do the, and we'll talk about that in a guess in a, in a second, but you can almost do the 21st Phantom year one as it should have been. <laughs> we can maybe uh, come up with a proper, a proper storyline that we could be proud of. <laughs> I, I do want to come to that in a moment when we talk about the 21st Phantom, but just to finish off our chat about Diana and the Jungle Patrol and the, the use of that in the, in the card game, once again about the art, Valve's art in this case, um, there are lots of um, really cool Diana images in this one. It must have been a bit of a fun to go through and choose the ones that you're going to have for the cards. Yes, yes, uh, I agree. But uh, as I started talking about in the in the last, the the best issue I have with color uh, is from '93, and the coloring back then isn't as great as the other ones. So I had a lot of more work, or rather. Dayan had a lot more work uh, cleaning up all the images to make them look uh, as good as they do in the game. Because, I mean, the, the art is great, uh, painted, but the quality of the paper is not as good as the 2004 issue or the 2019 comic book. Mm. And I think that that speaks to, you know, the credit that we need to give you, Mikkel, in creating this game is because you didn't have access to the original artwork or the original scans. You're working off what you said, 1993. So you're working off a 25-year-old comic book uh, that I assume you've scanned in and then have put that that labour of love into tidying up the images, getting rid of the speech balloons, um, you know, making it as good as possible. And we've seen in the Kickstarter campaign some of the quality of those cards um, you know, that's a, that's a lot of work for you to have done over the past couple of years before you even went to launch this. So, you know, you, you've certainly got some, um, you know, got some skin in the game in terms of having this, uh, this card game funded now. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I've spent many hours looking at these uh, images in Photoshop. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I also, yeah. Did the, this one is a specific one because I wanted her to have three martial arts things, one uh, hit and uh, one kick and one throw. And finding her throwing and kicking, that's, that was easier. But this is the only hit one, I see. And she's using a strange technique to hit the guy. But uh, so actually the advanced one is this image, but we changed the color so it looks cooler. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, it's really cool to... Um, to, to see that the way you've been able to use the different panels and, and to change up the panels a little bit to use them in multiple ways as well. Mm. Cool, cool. All right, so Dying in the Jungle Patrol, a really good story that um, probably not enough people have read because um, it just hasn't had the, uh, the been published anywhere near as widely as some of the other stories so um, if even if you haven't read this before look if you um, are listening to this and you, you don't have a copy of the comic um, as I say issue 1804 if you want to go to eBay or um, even Fru's website now would still sell this comic so you'd be able to pick yourself up a, a fresh mint version of that as well so you can read that story before you go along to play the play the game yeah and I picked up both that and the 21st Phantom from the Fru store because I wanted the English uh, text, so I could write in. Uh, I didn't have to translate everything that's been said <laughs> in the stories. <laughs> very good, very good. So the the twenty first fam, and, and um, there's been a couple of potential segue moments, but that's a really good one. You've actually held it up to camera, and we've talked about the twenty first fam. So that is issue number thirteen ninety. Um, I'm a bit old school, Mikel. I didn't get it off the website. You can see there my newsagent sticker um, <laughs> from when I was buying this uh, straight off the newspaper shelf before I got anywhere near serious about thinking I was actually a collector. I was just buying comics to read at the time. I didn't, didn't uh, think of myself as someone who was, is into it as it turns out I am at that stage. Um, so 21st Phantom is uh, the most modern of the stories that we're, we're talking about or that you've used in the game. This one is from 2004. Once again, it's a Team Phantomman story. And I'm going to ask you a question about that element in a moment. But uh, from 2004, this one's written by uh, Clay Strumerthy, who after Lee Fork is the most prolific Phantom author, published Phantom author um, in the world and has got art by Paul Ryan, who not only drew for Team Phantomman, but also spent time as the, uh, the, the newspaper strip artist as well. This was first published in Sweden in 2004, of course, as well as across the rest of um, Finland and uh, Norway and Scandinavia in general through 2004. And it was also picked up very quickly by Australia, also being published in 2004 in issue 1390, as we've said. Um, great to hear that um, copies of this are still available on the free website, though, if you go and search for it. So pleased to hear you were able to pick that one up there. So it basically tells the story, if I, if I do a quick plot summary, tells the story of, um, of the 21st Phantom finding out that his dad is uh, mortally wounded, making the trip back to the Skull Cave, burying his father, visiting his mother's grave, and we hear some of the doubts that he has about taking on the mantle as this generational hero, um, but then being compelled into basically his first adventure. And it's the first, uh, the first adventure that the, the 21st Phantom goes on. 
and um, and that then tells that story. So a really interesting story for for you to have chosen again, Mikkel. Um, I guess before we get your insights, Jermaine, what did you think about um, this story that's called the 21st Phantom? And I guess afterwards we'll explore a little bit about this year one concept. Yeah. Um, when it first came out, uh, 2004, so it would have been back in the forum days, the Phantom forum days, um, I, I really enjoyed it. I loved the idea of seeing the 21st Phantom, which is our Phantom, the Phantom that we've all grown up on. We've, all, we've always seen him as, a, as an assured character, you know, comfortable in his own skin. Uh, to be honest, not much self-doubt in any of the stories we've ever read. Um, so there was that element which was, in a sense, making him more human. Um, but it was, it, was a, it was a cool concept and I was really excited by it at the time. Um, when it comes to the story, I've always liked Paul Ryan's art. Um, you know, I've had the pleasure of meeting him, and he was a he was a great guy, one of the one of the real nice people. Um, you know, this story it's got the whole swearing of the oath, which is one of the most powerful things about the Phantom. It's got you know the the establishment of the law, like the, from the generation to generation, um, the ritual. You know, then it's then we kind of even get a little bit of the law, which about the six Phantom, about the Jungle Patrol, and you know, and stuff like that. So it's a real good story in a sense for fans to kind of jump into because they get a good crash course of the Phantom. Um, but, you know, like the story's, the story's nothing flash in the sense that there's nothing super special about it, but the way it's all set up and, and, and the different elements come together in the concept of the year one overall is what probably makes this story in my opinion. Mikel, what you, you would have read this at the time, I suppose when it first came out in 2004. Yeah. Finally a story that was uh, written while we were alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say exactly what, your main, your main said, but uh, I agree with almost everything. Uh, but I, I mean, I really enjoy, even though I did not only enjoy the concept, I enjoyed, I en actually enjoyed the year one uh, stories, uh, almost all of them. Uh, and I thought, if I go over to why I chose it for the uh, game, I thought that was a great, great way to introduce people to to the to the character and to the stories and also since you're unlocking everything why not do it chronologically as he's yeah. doing it uh, yeah it's a good, that's, that's, so it's like it's a good point he gets the ring yeah he, he swears the oath and then you also get to do that in the game yeah and like you and that's the that's the great thing about i guess your game tying the story with the game is that you're in a sense becoming the phantom you're you're um building your yourself as the phantom and that's what this whole story is all about is that it is you know a boy you know a 21 year old young man becoming you know becoming the phantom who's you know got 450 odd years of 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 legacy to 
to you know to live up to, which is which is quite daunting when you think about it. You know, it's hard enough for us to start a new job or, or you know or something like that to step up. Uh, you know, whether it's a job promotion or something like that. This guy's you know going into the family business for four hundred and fifty years before. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look, I, I really enjoyed it as a story as well. And I don't, I don't particularly remember enjoying it at the time. Um, I don't remember hating it. I don't, it didn't, didn't really stick with me in any great way, to be honest, at the time. Um, rereading it over the weekend, um, I've really quite enjoyed it. Um, there's a couple of little things that, um, like, for instance, you mentioned the swearing of the oath. I've always sort of had in my head that the the, the, the incoming phantom swears the oath while the, the dying phantom watches wherever possible. So there's that connection and that didn't happen here. Um, but that other than that, Place from Anthony's done a great job in this story of um, tying together traditional phantom elements. And you've already mentioned a few there, Jermaine, um, where, he, where he mentions the sixth phantom and the, the birth of the jungle patrol as he's sort of trying to think about, well, how, how do I fit into this, um, this generational you know, how do I fit into the generations here? I also like little things like the the, women, the woman he's trying to save was bound for the slave markets of Makar and it's the Makar slavers that are coming into the story and, and that he ultimately scares off. Um, so, you know, that's that's a, a really iconic story from the 1960s, um, Cy Barry's first story, um, that lots of people would love. So Place from Anthony in this particular comic has really used the uh, the phantom lore and the phantom legend really well and tied it all in together. Yeah, and then you're like, you've got the Whispering Woods, you've got the Phantom Head Peak, um, you know, so you, like, there's all those type of things. You've got the fact that the phantom gets knocked on his head, which is a fairly common, um, <laughs> you know, trope. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's the things where he, you know, plays the different elements and, you know, scares him and, you know, goes and creates diversions and, and, and stuff like that. So there's, yeah, yeah. There, there's all those kind of elements that are pretty cool. Yeah, that, that was probably the, the, <laughs> the, the one narrative point that I didn't like was uh, they shoot him and go okay so well he's not dead but he's we're going to let him just lay there and then there's absolutely no evidence of any shooting injury after that whatever reason <laughs> it's, that's not really well explained but anyway that's a, a minor point it's got it's probably and you've probably covered that uh, papered over those cracks really well in the card game i imagine Mikhail. <laughs> oh sorry i was yeah i mean he says he has uh what's it called headache yeah but yeah off after that page, it doesn't mention it again. No. So, what was <laughs> That's your right. question? It's a comic book. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for those who who uh, may not be familiar, they're probably going to Fandom Wiki right now, typing in U1 going, oh, what is this U1 they're talking about? And they're not going to get any results because U1, there are no entries for U1 in Fandom Wiki. Now, we've mentioned a few times that the 21st Fandom, this story, is the first story in a series that came known as U1. Um, do either of you guys uh, want to fill us in and explain to the listeners what is what is U1? What was that concept? So um, what's, what's interesting is in the Swedish version, I'm sure Mikkel's got it there, there's actually a little blurb um, in the start of it. Yeah, so Mikkel, just talk so listeners on the on the YouTube can see that. Yeah, Mikhail, we just need some audio from you so that the video oh, okay. will flip over to Oh, you. now I'm talking. 
<laughs> talking very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, they, they started that with that year and it had like every story had it, this blurb. Uh, but they also have this, like, they started putting this uh, cartoon year one at the title. Yeah, and I, I know there was some. Yeah, you can continue. So in the free one, they've also got the year one as well. If you're looking on YouTube, you'll be able to see the panel that I'm talking about. But there was not that blurb. And so what was what was interesting is in, in the Phantom uh, Forum, uh, which is, you know, back in the olden days before Facebook, um, you know, this, this page here, which you see the Phantom getting injured and going to um, Doc Axel, there was a lot of discussion where we weren't sure whether this was the 20th Phantom that we see here or the 21st Phantom, and then he is remembering. So a lot of Australian fans were a little bit confused by this because it wasn't as clear as what was in the Swedish and the Team Phantom Man issues. Um, so Year One was a concept that I think from memory was created by Frank Miller when he did, um, I think he did Daredevil and Batman, and I'm going to get a million messages correcting me if I've got this wrong. Um, but basically, it was a concept that they created where they got these famous heroes and they did a year one saga where basically the first year of them becoming who they were, you know, they, you know, which, which gives you all those elements that we talked about before where you're having the, fallib the fallibilities of the character, the shortcomings of the character and, and stuff like that where he's not assured of himself. So it, it, was a, it was a great concept. It was really, really good. But in my biggest problem is that probably the first four or five stories were like top-notch up here. And then a lot of the middle stories were very, very average in the sense that it was, it was almost just like another story and there was nothing really about the Phantom becoming the Phantom that we know. They were almost like, oh, yeah, we had this story so let's just quickly tweak it a little bit and add it as the year one. And the, the concept started off good. It started off good and then it just died a death. And Jim Shepard was not very supportive about it in his message from the Phantom um, uh, in the Australian issue and stuff like that. So to this day, I still think it was a huge missed opportunity from uh, Team Phantom Men and also from Free to a lesser extent. Um, that this could have been a lot better than what it really was. Mm. It, it's interesting you should put the lay the, the blame at the feet of Fru as well, because really they are only just publishing the, the stories that come along. I, I completely take your point about Jim Shepard not being super supportive, and it was interesting reading for the message from the publisher. <laughs> um, perhaps this is partly where I get my, um, you know, my standing of. Uh, Team Fundman stories are not law because and I'll, I'll quote from Jim Shepard in the message from the publisher from 1390. He says, once again, I must stress that Ramethi's story development should not be accepted as official phantom history. That remains the domain of Lee Fork's long chronology of the ghost who walks. Um, so he was quite open in the message from the publisher before you even read the story that this isn't a real story. So um, <laughs> it was an interesting stance to take and completely, um, completely gives a different tone to the, the blurb that you showed us there before, Mikkel, in, in what was published in the, the Swedish version. 
Yeah, and we also had this like countdown uh, on the cover that were counting down okay. on when he was going to wake up uh, from his coma. Like you see in the mm. first page, he's in a coma. Yep. Uh, and that's after year one, so it's this when he goes around with the bullet in his head uh, and does stupid things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like it, and you know, I understand, you know, I don't agree with Jim Shepard, but I do understand where he's coming from. I think he was rather close minded at that stage of his publishing. Um, because in reading the story, I don't really see, you know, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Dan, but I don't really see many elements that contradict Lee Fork. No, and in fact, as I said before, it actually seems to have made some really strong efforts to um, draw on Lee Fork's mythology mm. and to fit within um, what could have been possible. At, at the first year of um, the 21st Phantom taking the mantle, or having just taken the oath and the rings has never been properly explored by Lee Fork. So I can completely understand and um, why Ramethi and, and Tim Fantaman should want to do that. And in this particular comic and without going over the rest of the year one saga, but this particular story, I think he did a good job. Yeah. 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 This, yeah. Um, I think one day we'll have to do a, a year one, uh, maybe when Mikel uh, releases uh, the next, the next uh, Kickstarter, card game and no it's pressure. Over, over the whole saga or something <laughs> right. um, yeah. review it then <laughs> yeah yeah maybe we, we shouldn't go into it that much but i just want to mention that i think it was pretty cool how they integrated like uh, their earlier team phantom stories like uh, johnny hot rod and uh, mm. uh, even the, the island with the two rainbows uh, the fourth oh, story they integrated into the year one i think that was pretty fun, uh, clever like how don rosa took every thing of uncle scrooge when he did his book books that's almost the same like we have these stories let's try to tie them together yeah and that's one thing that that you know whether you agree or disagree but team phantom men have tried to do that sometimes successful and sometimes unsuccessfully have tried and sometimes to, they haven't really tried <laughs> uh, generally they have uh tried to merge <laughs> merge the things and uh, and stuff like that so yeah. um but yeah no it's um interestingly that uh johnny hotwire two-part series that was actually created by tony d paul um where he gets to ride a harley and if anyone knows tony uh and his love for uh, the bikes and stuff like that. It was, um, uh, it was one of his more favorite stories um, that, you know, that, those two stories. Anyway, so to get, to get back to the way you've turned the 21st Phantom story into the card game, once again, we've got to talk about the art, Paul Ryan's art in this instance. Now, which, um, which book did you scan and, and which images did you use for um, the, the cards this time, McKellen, and what was the process like for Paul Ryan's art? Yeah, I mean, this is basically like it hasn't been reprinted in Sweden, so it's the, the original comic book. Uh, and uh, I mean, the, the, there's so, like, I think all the images are really big. So it was quite easy since it was a modern, uh, modern story. And yeah, th this one was 
probably the easiest one art-wise. I must say I do like the overall concept then of the game that um, you've got three different decks and three different artists, um, all of whom, you know, regular fandom fans and and readers will recognise as being iconic in in their own ways and during their own eras. Um, And I think that's going to be a really nice feel to the game as we play it, as you move from one deck or one story to the next, there'll be that change of, um, of artistry as well. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I think that's fun. And uh, I mean, like, since I took the story of devil from the true one, his, uh, costume is purple in that one and the other ones is blue. So I think that's also good that we all get a little bit of our favorite color. <laughs> and I, I don't see an issue in, in, uh, uh, having both in the cards. Mm. Very good. I, th- no, I think cool. it. Um, I think it's good in the sense that it 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 makes it a an international game by having the blue and the purple uh, and stuff like that because it's you know probably what you know probably ninety percent of fans either see them as blue or purple. So I think that's um you know that that you know that is good. So that, I guess, um, if we're going to start talking about percentages, let's go and talk about the, the Kickstarter campaign at this stage. Um, 30-odd percent of your backers so far have come from Sweden, um, which has got to be pretty satisfying for yourself to, to see that there's, um, you know, your compatriots are supporting you. Um, about, about 20%-ish um, from each of the United States and Australia as well. Um, I'm probably a little bit surprised with the Australian numbers in particular. You've mentioned the American numbers in a chat we've had. Um, are you looking to see a bigger uptake from the Australian and the American markets? My hope is to to get uh, get more, of course. But yeah, uh, I mean, I'm really happy with the numbers as they are. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah uh, I, I'm happily surprised that there's so many other countries except the three because I was thinking like this is, will be exclusively Americans, Australians and uh, Scandinavians uh, but I mean the UK seems uh, quite okay and uh, Germany is another one as well yeah yeah but Germany loves games board games and card games so uh, they're like the, the European capital of games mm. Uh, but I mean, I I contacted some English guys, and they know who the Phantom is. They they have they have read the comics that came out in the what was it the nineties, the Wolf comics and those. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's I mean, I thought since there was so small, uh, num what's it called run print run. I yeah. Not that many had read it, but it seems like he was more popular than I thought. Mm. There was, I know Defenders of the Earth was very popular in the UK. Um, if you look at the first issue of the Wolf comic, it's actually got the Phantom as seen in Defenders of the Earth. So, um, and then there was been, um, actually a lot of these, so there's been these, um, uh, Miller comics, which were from the 60s or 70s, and there's been some of these as well. So there has been fan comics from the UK, um, and it was also in a lot of like um, 
uh, TV type of magazines as like a, a backup feature and stuff like that. But he's not nearly as popular as what as what he probably should have been. Mm. Yeah. So hopefully over the next three, three and a half weeks, you'll see a bit more of an uptake from countries around the world. Um, but as you say, you're completely satisfied with the numbers at the moment because it funded so quickly, mm. you know, we've locked it in, it is going to get made. Um, rocketed past the three stretch goals that were already listed on the campaign page. And I would imagine, and I was... Um, that um, that's probably been the biggest question that you've faced in the last 24 hours since it funded, as it became clear that it was racing up the the, um, the pledge tally there. Um, what are the next lot of stretch goals? Now, as we record this, you've just posted another couple um, to the page. Um, you Are you satisfied that you've got enough stretch goals up your sleeve to satisfy demand? <laughs> Yeah, I think so because we have uh, we have a few that we can pick in, but we also have a few that we are we're looking at production costs costs if we can if we can do it, and then uh, I mean it would be really nice to be able to pick those as well. But yeah, I was so I mean first of all I wanted the fun so I could do the game, but it's so nice to have both uh, both the loot and the achievements and the good card quality because that's how I'm, I imagined it uh, with to get this uh, great replayability that I think is I mean it wasn't needed but yeah it really makes the game much better yeah cool mm. can I can I ask you about the stretch goals that you've got planned because those three stretch goals um, are nice I guess for phantom fans and collectors but seem like far more to desirable for game players and um the 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 things that i think part of why this is so successful is because you've appealed to the card game market and the mechanics of the game from all of the um, reviews that i've heard seem to be really good i don't have a great understanding of of that um i'm a phantom fan um as far as your stretch goals going forward do you see them as being more to do with the game and the gameplay or are they to do or, or are they going to offer something to the collector's market as well i mean you you play the game so you have a, a small idea about the mechanics right but yeah um, i guess most is like the i would say the first ones i mean greater quality of of the cards that's good for collectors and also like the the loot and achievement that's new i mean those uh, cards had art that wasn't in the the core game so i mean yeah. that's what was it like 23 new art yeah. cards with art uh those two that are up right now that's more for i, I would say gamers because that gives them more option to to uh, deck build but I mean I heard uh, in your comments before we're doing this and uh, yeah I might uh, I'm not going to talk about it on the podcast <laughs> because I don't no, know if I right. can do it but yeah <laughs> I, I, I like that idea so I'm, I'm going to take it into consideration I, and I've gotten quite a lot of good ideas from the uh, the good backers that's writing the comments yeah. in the Kickstarter. I mean, there's there's been so much good energy there. Mm. Uh, that was going to be my, my next 
question as well because um, again, we're only two days in. There's over 170 comments in the in the Kickstarter thread there, and I know you've been excellent. You've been really responsive. So probably half of those are you answering questions um, from people that have asked. But um, how has it been fielding these suggestions? Are some of them you're going? No, I thought of that, and it's not going to work. Or that's so left field, it's not for me. Um, is there any comments where you look at it and go, "Gee, I hadn't thought of that. Um, maybe I'll bring that in." Yeah, I think I, I tr always try to be honest, and I think I'm that in the uh, comments as well. Like, there's there has been a few times where I've said, "Like, I have thought of this, and this is what I came up with." But if you can change my mind by by any means, try to. Uh, oh. And then in the same way, I say like, oh, wow, I haven't thought of this. This is a great idea. Like, I got this uh, idea of uh, the achievement cards. Uh, the, you know, you have this card where you should do a checkbox every time you do an achievement. And mm -hmm. I got this suggestion that you shouldn't have things that you have to destroy by painting on it. And, and it gave some suggestion and that made me my gear spinning so I'm gonna try to make it better in a way to have there there is a few different ways it's all depending on cost like the the cheapest way but still that could be doable without doing anything that's instead of having a checkbox just say which card you unlock and then if you have already unlocked it then you know oh, I've already done this achievement and then you don't have to print anything yeah. Uh, that would be the easy option, but I'm also looking at what would it mean to change the achievement system, but mm. that would need some and, more and, cards. And how does it feel, because I'm not sure I would enjoy this, but how does it feel for you having spent you know years and years on planning this game, getting it to where it is, designing all the cards, etc., etc., and then having all of these Johnny-come-latelys um, pledge the game and then feel a sense of ownership and then be asking questions and, and um, throwing in suggestions and that sort of thing. Does that, is that off-putting for you or you enjoy that feedback now? or I, How is that? I enjoy it. Uh, maybe I was afraid that I would feel like that uh, two years ago or something like that. But when, once I started uh, playtesting with people I don't know and getting like real tests and real feedback, I, I realized that I really enjoy talking about game mechanics and uh, trying to improve things as much as possible. And to improve things, you need uh, different angles to, to issues. And mm. I mean, everyone who has been playtesting with me, not everyone, but almost everyone has have had some input that a lot of that has come into the game to make it better. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You, you have seemed really approachable and really open in your comments. And I think that um, uh, the the way that you're responding to people in the comments and the fact that they're coming back and you're having these conversations now, um, it's really responsive. And I think anyone who's a backer of this campaign is going to enjoy the ride because the, the updates that we're getting um, and the interaction that you're having with people is um, is really positive so far, for sure. Yeah, I hope so. But I mean... I hope everyone also remember like this is our first uh, Kickstarter and our first game. So maybe we're not as professional in all our updates as uh, many other campaigns are, but uh, we're, we're doing our best and we're going to try to make this game as good as we possibly can. Very good. 
All right. Well, we did say it was going to be a short podcast, and it's already longer than we than we thought. But but the the, the actual comments, <laughs> true to form. <laughs> um, Jermaine, is there anything else you'd like to to uh, to talk about or ask Mikel before we uh, before we sign off? Um, I heard a little story uh, about um, uh, some shaving cream or something like that. Do you want to quickly tell us about that story? <laughs> Yeah, in a weak moment <laughs> before the Kickstarter launched, I told my wife that, yeah, if we fund, I will uh, shave off my beard. Uh, but uh, yesterday when it, we funded, we realized I, we don't have any, any shaving cream or shaving <laughs> gel. So uh, she's actually out buying it. I think she's home already w- with it. So I guess I'll go <laughs> oh, no. shave after this. Awesome. So maybe so, maybe I should take a picture uh, yeah. for the for the page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were, were there promises made that you had to stay shaved, or are you going to be able to just grow the beard straight back again? No, I will grow it back. I mean, it's Corona time; it it will grow out in all time. <laughs> maybe what we... I mean, this hair this hair really needs uh, cutting, but I just do the whole lot. There. Should like <laughs> shave like half of this side of the beard and then half of the side of the hair, and then you hold up the comics for the uh, for the picture for the title page. Uh, that would be interesting. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> that, that was a hard answer. Very good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Mikel. We've really enjoyed catching up with you. We've really enjoyed chatting about the the stories behind the cards and finding out a little bit more about how you chose them, why you chose them, and, and how you've been able to use them since. Uh, really appreciate um, you taking the time to join us, and um, hopefully this is something that you'll be able to use as well to to help explain to the backers um, how, how you came to this point. Yeah. It's always fun being welcome back. I don't know why, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very well, good. So. Well, well, we're certainly going to put the, um, obviously the links to the campaign in the uh, show notes as well. And uh, you should look up, uh, look up the Phantom, the card game on Facebook. If you haven't already and follow the progress there, uh, but obviously uh, on via, via kickstarter.com at the moment is the, uh, the big one there. Uh, you can also follow what we do. We're on chroniclechamber.com. So if you, have come to the podcast because of the card game, but um, are intrigued to hear more about the Phantom, chroniclechamber.com is the place to go for that. You can email us at chroniclechamber at gmail.com. Of course, we're also on social medias as well. We're on Facebook at uh, thechroniclechamber.com. Just do a search for that on Facebook. We're also amongst the Phantom Collector group. Um, we're on Twitter at Chronicle underscore tweet, Instagram at Chronicle Chamber, YouTube, just search Chronicle Chamber. Um, lots of different ways that you can get in touch with us there. And if you are not subscribed and like, would like to hear more about all things Phantom, um, then you should absolutely subscribe through iTunes or Spotify or whatever is your preferred podcast player. Um, so anyway, guys, thank you very much for your time tonight. Really enjoyed chatting about this. It's really exciting that this uh, Phantom card game is is up and going and uh, is, I guess, locked in for production now. And uh, just looking forward to seeing how far we can take it with the stretch goals as they come. So congratulations again, Mikkel, and uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, and thank you for having me. It's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for joining us and congratulations as well. And um, yeah, if you haven't if you haven't backed, jump on board 
and let's get let's get some more stretch goals happening absolutely all right thanks very much guys um get on to the kickstarter and as always happy fandoming (laughs) (laughs) happy fandoming guys happy fandoming 500 years ago he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad he said i'm mad i must eradicate piracy injustice and cruelty and all my sons will follow me so evil doers will believe that this man cannot die the phantom the ghost who walks the phantom enemies beware the phantom's always there but you won't find the phantom he finds you